Amen. Okay. So Paul, after saying last week, don't let anybody take you back into slavery. Jesus is here to set you free. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. He says that basically there is the pure gospel of Christ, that, that Jesus was sent into the world to save sinners, that he rose from the grave, that he now dwells inside of us as Holy Spirit, and that that pure gospel is enough, and that when you add to it by saying, in this case, circumcision was what they were trying to add to it, the typical uh, traditional symbol of God's covenant with his people through Abraham is why that mattered to the Jews. He says to add that to it, Christianity and circumcision is actually to take away from it. It's like marrying a second woman and saying that makes you a better husband. Or adding another God that you worship and thinking it makes you a better worshiper. That sometimes when you add two things, you're taking away from them. And the issue really on the table is what makes a person a real Christian, quote unquote. Well, today Paul's going to try to help us understand freedom in Christ by walking us through his own journey. So he's going to do this. Uh, we're going to read Galatians 1, 13 to 16, uh, and then uh, we're going to skip a few verses and go down to 23 and 24. So here we go. You know what I was like. Boy, you know what? That's a good way to start your own story. If you're trying to share the gospel with somebody, you know what I was like. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my uh, zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, you can underline that one in your Bible as well. Even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being. Then go ahead and just let your eyes travel down to verses 23 uh, and 24. All they knew is that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. So he starts walking you down his own story. And he says, God had a plan for me from before I was born. Have you ever stopped to consider God having a plan for you before you were even born? See, he looks back now, and what people are saying is, oh, you know what, he used to go around and persecute the church. Oh, yeah, he used to do this, he used to do that. And Paul goes, yeah, 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 I did, I did. But God had a bigger plan for me. And because, he, I, because of the whole journey I had where I was persecuting the church, and I was a Pharisee and all of that, it's made me who I am. It was actually a part of God's plan for what he was going to do to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And he turns out to be a pivotal player, not just in the history of Christianity in terms of evangelism, but also in helping people who would continue to make Christianity just another version of Judaism to kind of keep the pure gospel in place. Because you can't convince Paul that the gospel isn't powerful enough to change the life of a person who's dead set against it. His entire ministry to this point was to execute Christians persecute Christians, but then God meets him on the Damascus road, changes his life, and now he's completely changed. So now he's going, no, you don't need anything other than the gospel. And the stuff that made me who I was then was all this law stuff. So now that has to stay out because that brings slavery. What brings freedom is knowing that the God in heaven that loves me enough 
that He would send His Son to die for me so that I might walk in newness of life and walk by the power of His Spirit, that God, that gospel is powerful enough. And to add to it is to take away from it. It's to pervert the gospel. It's like putting pickle juice in your cereal. It's like, yeah, exactly. It's like it ruins it. Sisters and brothers, our story witnesses to God's glory. Your story witnesses to God's glory. If you, if you were born into the faith, you had great, solid Christian parents that raised you up in the faith, you've never really known anything different, you followed Jesus your entire life, okay, that's a part of your story, and it witnesses to the glory of God. If you walked in here this morning, and God's just starting to do something in your life, I'm ready, here to prepare you for the fact that He's just starting to do something in your life, and your story is about to change for the better. And if you're somewhere in between those two extremes, understand that part of what God is doing in your heart and in your life, He was starting in His mind. He saw it before you were born. Just like Paul. And your story preaches its own sermon. Your story of how God changed you. Whether it's one that says he's been the foundation of my life since the time I was born, or you know what, I used to be a complete this and that or whatever, or you start all of your sentences with a, you know that I used to, just like Paul does here. Paul just simply comes to them and offers his own testimony. It's not that he's against the law. In fact, he points out, I've been zealous for it my entire life. He wants anybody who reads what he's saying about the law to understand he isn't just somebody who's like kind of anti, he's not anti-Jewish, he's not, he is a Jew. Uh, he's, he's not anti-Jewish, he's not, he is pro-gospel. And that his background with the law and with legalism is what gives him his insight into the legalism mindset. And he wants people to know that his story, and in turn yours, prepares you for ministry. It prepares you for ministry. That your story doesn't have a, uh, does not not have a point. Let's say that differently. Your story is not pointless. How about that? Amen. Well, why did that happen? I don't know. Yet, neither do you. I know it's part of your story. And I know that God glorifies Himself through our stories. So I don't know how, I don't know how yet. Well, if God's so great, then why could this happen or why'd that happen? I don't know. I just know that God, when it's the right time, works things together for good. Your story prepares you for ministry and witnesses to the glory of God. When Paul, now he goes on kind of an interesting bio, uh, biography there for uh, a while. We're not going to take time to read it. But he, he goes on, talks about his conversion experience on the Damascus Road, that he went away to study for a period of three years. And during that time, he went and, and um, uh, paid a visit to Peter. And he hung out with Peter for 15 days, which I thought, wouldn't it be great to have a videotape of that discussion? And uh, you do get the sense that Peter was looking him over to make sure he, was, he wasn't a, a mole, essentially, for the opposition, that his heart had actually changed. I'm guessing Paul's trying to get, hey, you were there with Jesus. You've walked with him. What's he like? Tell me, you know, and they were going back and forth. But, boy, I'd love to have some reality show that, that videotaped that conversation. And then he just says, hey, you know who I was. Right. I'm not that anymore. And people are praising God for what he's done in me. And it's important we do that, you know? We celebrate what God does in people. 
I know it's easy. When you see somebody who used to be one way, they were particularly maybe, maybe they hurt you in some way. Maybe they were vile. Maybe they were evil. Maybe they were whatever. To trust what God's doing in their heart right away. There's an illustration. I'm going to put a guy's picture up. Tell me if you recognize him. All right. Now, this has become a source of division in the Christian community. Now, uh, I know I come across like a thoroughly, uh, I don't know, J. Crew style dude. Um, but I was born and raised in Long Beach on rap music, okay? So I love rap, always have. So before he even came to Christ, I would have told you he was one of probably the five greatest hip-hop guys of all time, all right? But his music is vile, okay? From an artistic standpoint, I would say that. But the lyrics of the music itself are vile, as it is for most hip-hop, frankly, okay? So when all this happened... When he decided to become a Christian and he put out a rap album that had that in there, I had to stop. And I had to go, okay, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with this? What about all that other stuff? Maybe we ought to give him a probationary period. All right, let's see if you can do two albums that have, you know, get some distance from this. Um, you know, and, and so the Christian community, frankly, has been a little bit divided on this stuff. Okay, the same thing happened to Paul. I'm not saying he's Paul, so don't send me an email saying I said he was Paul. Not saying that. I'm not saying he's anything like Paul. What I'm saying is the point Paul is making here is that when he came to Christ, not everybody was thrilled. You mean the guy who killed my mom? That guy. Oh, you want me to? You want me to to, to love that guy as a brother? That guy. The guy who helped the emperor do horrific things to my family? Are you kidding me? I mean, this stuff really happened to people. This is not like, none of this is fable. This is historically verified. So yesterday I had a little exchange with a theologian about this guy online. And he was kind of saying he had gone to uh, prison and done some uh, uh, performing there. He's kind of altered Jesus Walks, which is one of his more famous songs. He's altered the lyrics of that to be more Christian. So he was singing it, and there was a clip of him there, and this theologian had said, well, there have been people faithfully serving there for years, and nobody's written an article about them. And I just said, you're right. There are people that have been serving in that prison for a long time, and nobody's done it, but they got a better chance of being noticed now than they did before that. And I said, the reality is, if somebody's going to go serve in a prison, the word you're looking for is thank you. Amen. It's not, how dare he. It's not, well, it's about time. So notice, again, our propensity to simply say, I mean, look, when, when you really lived badly, it's hard to get other people to take you seriously. And that's why Paul gives his testimony. But here's what I want you to know if you think that nobody's going to take you seriously. Because of all the stuff you've done. God takes you seriously and that's all that matters. Amen. Let me say that again. God takes you seriously. 
And we as his church are supposed to take you seriously. Now, of course, Paul converts, and then there's a prep period. He doesn't just jump into, you know, go walking around and, you know, uh, working on evangelism in all the churches. But I'm telling you this, the, the, the scriptures are replete with people whether it's the Samaritan woman at the well who on the spot runs into her village and says, hey, I just met somebody who can tell me everything I did. Where's the thief hanging on a cross? Of people who come immediately and immediately start making a difference. So no, you don't need to go to seminary and get, get a doctor of ministry degree or anything like that to make a difference for Christ. What you need to do, though, is what Paul's going to do here. He had the spiritual gift of boldness. And God gave you not just a new future, but he gave you a mouth. And he would want you to open it. Even if your sentences start with, you know I used to be this. And everybody's going to go, yeah, we knew you used to be that. What makes us think you're different? Well, I'm trying. By the power of the gospel, I'm going to keep walking. But here's what I know. I know that I used to be that way. And by the grace of God, I became this way. And you can do the same thing. And in that tradition of people who... Wait, you mean this woman who's been married five times, you know? Uh, you know, that's how the apostles saw her. Now, I'm going to be fair to the card-carrying legalists among us. Because I, I, I used to be one, and I still struggle with it. Like I just told you. What am I going to do with Kanye? I don't know. Okay? The reason that people are paranoid about it is because, frankly, it has been abused over and over and over again. People have taken advantage. People have built up a platform for themselves and then blown it to pieces with, with continued sin in their life or uh, they've mishandled it. And so as a Christian, it, it hurts. You feel betrayed. You feel like next time we're going to keep a more careful watch. Those kinds of things. So it's not coming from just an evil place where they, everybody thinks they're self-righteous. I don't believe that. But I do think, if I can talk to those who you know, are kind of of my ilk from born and raised in the faith and have been at this a while, I think there's a place for telling the newbies to, hey, it's time to grow up now. That's kind of like the book of Hebrews. Galatians is about telling us to grow up. Right. Which is simply to say, you got Paul's among you. Right. We've got Paul's among us. I mean, people that got great testimonies. Or God's just started writing the first chapter. And their story can change the city they're in, the family lineage they've got, all the death, the destruction, the, the stuff that has, has absolutely devastated their family lineage for generations can change with them unless they show up at a church where people aren't willing to give them that shot. Because we think, nah, it's fine. You go uh, ride the bench for five years and we might let you play right field. You know, I think we have to work hard at that. And so there's both sides to that. One is a commitment to seeing people grow in Christ and the other is those of us who are further along in the faith, continuing to grow by learning how to accept and welcome people who've turned their hearts toward the Lord. So Paul shows up. Next little episode here. Paul then takes Titus with him. He has a, a mate. He's a Gentile, which is just a fancy word for non-Jew. Uh, he takes Titus with him, and they go on a road trip together, and Paul's going around to kind of start his ministry. And he goes to visit the pillars of the church, Peter, James, John. And he sits down, and, and basically the question is, should Titus get circumcised or not? All three pillars say, nope, he's good. So Paul says, sweet, takes, takes Titus with him, heads off. So next time they, they turn up, uh, 
he's there. Paul is there with Barnabas. Goes about preaching the gospel, uh, planting churches, including the church at Galatia, to whom this is written. But eventually, Peter comes to visit. And Peter shows up, and he sits down with Titus, uncircumcised Titus. Remember, the reason circumcision is a big deal is because it's the symbol of God's covenant to the people through Abraham, okay? Um, Titus is there, uncircumcised, Paul. And here comes Peter, and he sits down with all the, the Galatians, and he eats with them. But then the legalists show up. Now, Peter has a golden opportunity here to throw down, say, hey, it's all good, and to just keep doing what he's doing. You know what he does? He chickens out. He pulls up stakes and goes and sits at the And Paul is standing there going, wait, 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 wait. Where are you going, Pete? Where are you going, man? What happened here? Wait, so you'll eat with us as long as they're not watching. Oh, man, I could do a whole sermon on just this story. Probably should. Maybe I will. Let me tell you something. That right there is exactly the whole point of Galatians. That one story. And so what does he do? Paul gets up in front of everybody and undresses Peter for it. Woo! That's another one I wanted to see on video. He gets up and he says, he says, Peter, 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 wait a minute now. Now you were sitting here with us, eating with us, and everything was fine. You said everything was cool. But now that they're here, you're getting up and walking over there? What a sellout to the gospel. You either believe that this brother is acceptable in the sight of God or not. Now, we know Peter's struggle with this. By the time you get to the story uh, uh, with Cornelius and all that, you can see it's kind of an ongoing problem for Peter. Now, it's easy for us, you know, 2,000 years later to sit there and go, ah, oh, Peter, or whatever. But we do this kind of thing all the time. We do it in small ways all the time. Let me introduce you to the early 80s Country Squire Ford Station Wagon. I have a picture of it here. Now... This piece of junk, uh, my parents had a brown version of this with the wood panels on it. And I was in about seventh grade, my sister was in eighth, and we would roll to uh, Hill Junior High School. I hated middle school like most kids did. I, I called it Hell Junior High School. And we, we would go to, 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 to Hell Junior High School. And when we pulled up to the curb, my sister and I were so embarrassed to be seen in that car, we did a time-honored American tradition. What did we do? down, duck down, slink out the back doors onto the sidewalk, crawling not to be recognized because we didn't want to be seen in mom's car. You know what? Here's the problem. Here's the fraud in that. We like that car, actually. You know why? Because in the very back, you can't see it in this version, but there were, uh, this is back, there, the seats. Some of you are going, the seats that faced each other. I know. They had, they had two bench seats that faced each other in the back with a little, like, tabletop. So you could sit there and play board games in the back. You can do all this stuff. We privately liked it. Publicly hated it. So when my mom said in front of all my friends that they were going to get a new car, I was like, oh, I'm so glad. Ugh. You know, and I was as loud and public about it as I could. Right? And you know what they did? They bought another one. 
<laughs> they bought a second one. They bought a navy blue one instead. They came, Dad pulled up in that thing, and I was like, oh, no, Dad, no. We, have, we could have gotten anything else. We could have gotten whatever, right? So then I had to do it again. I had to change my behavior again and then try to be acceptable again. And I'm going to tell you something. That will exhaust you. Teens. You ever pretend you don't even know your parents in a mall? I'm sure our NBC teens have never done that, but teenagers around America, especially like, say, 8th, ninth grade. Dad, don't come to school. Ew. Well, you didn't mind being around me when you needed $20. <laughs> okay, I get an amen from some of the parents in the house. All right. You need $20, all of a sudden, it's, oh, you're all cuddling up on my arm. I show up to your school. It's like, what are you doing to my school? All right. All I'm saying is we're not very good at resisting peer pressure either, adults. You're not, we're not that great at it. You know, sometimes it's Christian to Christian. You don't want to tell them about something that happened in your life or even with our church. Sometimes it's person to person. You became a Christian. You know, most of the time... You really enjoy being around your Christian brothers and sisters, but you don't want them to know that they even exist. I'm going to keep two sets of friends. That's very eighth grade of you. And Galatians says, no, you're in it or you're not. And when you're in it, Jesus transforms everything about you. And one of the things that he changes is you stop being a coward. The Holy Spirit brings courage. And so Paul turns from being this legalist that's persecuting Christians into a fire-breathing dragon for God. To the point that, well, God left the building. There we go. There we go. He's back. There we go. Um, Paul is a good role model for us all. He asked in chapter 1, Paul did, he asked, Am I now trying to please man or am I trying to please God? If I was trying to please man, we're not trying to please God. He says, so again, it's a great gift to the church to hear this from him. Raise your hand if you've seen the movie, The Shawshank Redemption. All right, there we go. Good. I knew I had good people in this church. It's an amazing movie. A lot of gospel in that movie. It's got some, don't go home and show your kids. You're going to want to preview that one first, but a lot of gospel in that movie. Well, you meet this guy, and uh, anybody know who that is? That's Red, not Morgan Freeman. That is Morgan Freeman, also known as Red. Well, you may remember he's in there, and he finally gets his freedom. And then what's painful is he can't stop asking other people for permission to go to the bathroom. And he gets to a point where he's so uncomfortable in freedom that he starts thinking about ways he can get his parole vote so he can go back to jail. I think there's something kind of oddly comforting about law, Right? This is kind of the tug of war between faith and grace versus law and order. He says in there, during his dilemma, he says, it's a terrible thing to live in fear. The fear he's talking about in the movie is not the fear of being in prison. It's the fear of being out of prison. I mean, how do you adjust to life as free when you've only been incarcerated pretty much your entire life? We live by grace according to our calling. That's the message of this section of Galatians. God had a plan for you from before you were born. 
It doesn't matter how your story started. It matters how it's going to end. And that it witnesses to the glory of God. And part of that story is not, okay, I came to Christ and then I had to be circumcised and then I, whatever. It's, it's I came to Christ and Christ transformed my life. And so, here's how Paul, as we round third base here in the sermon, Galatians 2, 19 to 21. You want one to memorize, you should, you should consider verse uh, 20 here and 21. That's all good, memorize it all. Here we go. He says, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die, he says. Now, if you don't believe, sisters and brothers, that the gospel is powerful enough on its own to transform the human heart and change lives, go talk to Paul. Or go talk to the woman caught in adultery. Or go ask the Samaritan woman at the well. Or ask the Roman centurion who whipped the back of Jesus all weekend long and ended up saying, surely he's the son of God. Ask Paul. Ask any of the 20 that have put on Christ in baptism here at New Vintage this year. You can ask me. You can ask almost anybody in this room. And we will tell you. It's all about the gospel. It's not about gospel and it's about gospel, period. At this time, we're going to gather around the Lord's table and take communion, like to ask those who are going to be serving to take their spots. And as we do, I want to read this as a prayer, just the text from Galatians. This will be our communion prayer this morning. At communion here, we... Um, we celebrate by taking bread and cup, which represents the body and blood of Jesus. And here's our prayer this morning. We have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. In the lives we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. So, Father, now we say thank you by taking the bread and the cup. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.